The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Thanks, Pastor Matt. It is great to be with you via live stream this morning, church. And as Matt said, uh, what a joy it was last week to be together. I was personally encouraged uh, by our time in worship together, by our time singing together, uh, by communion together, and even more so by the message last week on thankfulness in every season. It was an encouragement and challenge to me in this season to look at thankfulness and my heart's posture in that. And so whether you were with us via live stream or there with us that morning, I pray it was the same for you. Uh, and I want to continue this week, one more week, on, on the track that Pastor Matt laid for us last week and preach a message for us on seasons this morning. We're in seasons. We are in a unique season. We all know that. It's been a, a longer season than some of us would like. And I think it'd be helpful this morning to revisit a text for our church that we've walked through before several years ago. It's in Ecclesiastes 3, chapters 1 through 8. It's the famous passage by the preacher in Ecclesiastes that says there is a time for everything under the sun, a place for everything. The birds, the famous band, turn this into a song that's quite an earworm that you're probably familiar with. For everything, turn, 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 there is a season, turn, turn, turn. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty good song. I might have listened to it like nine times while I was preparing to speak. But the reason I thought it would be helpful to revisit is because the present realities we're facing in 2020 are marked by seasons. We as individuals have been brought through multiple seasons in a short period of time. Our families, mothers and fathers, parenting and schooling children have been pulled through unique times. Businesses are going through unique and difficult seasons right now. Churches, to say the least, are being stretched through this season and the passing seasons of the last four, five, six months. Our city is going through a unique season. Our country is in the midst of a challenging season. Our world, with tensions globally, is going through a unique season. Change has been a constant lately, and if we tune into the wisdom of the preacher in Ecclesiastes this morning, we're going to see that change is the only constant under the sun, that we are to expect change, expect the unexpected in this life. Uh, about six months ago, I stood on this stage and walked off, and one of our elders, Bob Phillips, was back in the booth, and I, I walked off from preaching. It was one of our previous services here at Granada Hills, and Bob pulled me aside and goes, dude, Kobe Bryant's helicopter just went down. Kobe Bryant just died. That feels so long ago to me. So much has happened since then, but that was a season. I remember the streets of LA being lined in purple and gold, only to fade, turn, turn, turn into another season, a new season as a pandemic started. And we've been through multiple seasons since then. So I want to look this morning at the biblical reality of God's purposes in our seasons. Before we do that, before we get to the text, I just want to lay a quick foundation for us, that a framework, some lenses that we can look at this passage through, because I think it will help us if we're looking at this passage through a biblically faithful framework on the foundation here to soak the marrow out of the bones of this passage and not just hear the birds singing to us all morning on a superficial level. So here's my foundational statement for us this morning, some lenses for us. God stands outside of time outside of seasons, and he sovereignly orders and sends every season. He orders 
and he sends every season that we face in our journey under the sun. Two specific ways I want to highlight quickly that God is sovereign or in control of our season. Sovereignty is a big theological word. It simply means God's ability to do what he wants because he's in control, because he reigns. He's over all things. First, I want us to look at the fact that God is sovereign in control of all creation and all of history. It's a big statement, so let's make sure we're getting it from the word of God. Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. That's not an insult this morning. That's just who we are. We're rebels. We've rebelled. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God. There's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purposes. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. So what God just said to us through the prophet Isaiah is this, that he is in control, that he's sovereign, that there's none like him. How is God different than us? Isaiah 55 tells us that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than our ways. He's not like us. So what sets God apart? Well, one thing that sets God apart is that he has the ability to stand in ancient times in the past and not just look forward to the future, but simultaneously stand in the future, order the future. He is outside of time. He's not bound. I'm a 36-year-old lanky ginger. I have 36 years of experience. I remember some of it, and I can look back over my 36 years of life, the books I've read, the things I've learned, the experiences I've had. I have some view of history, of reality. My view of history compared to God's is extremely limited. God is eternal. He created time. He created the cosmos. He sees it all at once. He is everywhere at once. God is not like us. He's not bound by time. And because of this, right now in this moment, as we carry our worries, our anxiety, our frustrations, our longings into this church service. Right now, God stands outside of time knowing and seeing future deliverance, the end of every season, the alleviation of every worry. God sees it all. God is not reeling in the midst of 2020. Doesn't have him back on his heels. He's not scrolling the LA Times articles, trying to figure out what's coming next, formulating opinions. He's not on social media looking for updates. He's not anxious. He's not insecure. He doesn't show up on the scene in an ambulance. He has ordered every moment. He's insecure. He's in control. He says here, from the east I summon a bird of prey, and from a far off land a man to fulfill my purposes. God is so in control that here he tells us, he tells birds when to hunt, he tells them how to fly, and from a far off land, he, he summons men to fulfill his purposes. I love the way verse 11 reads in the ESV. It says, I've spoken and I will bring it to pass. I've purposed and I'll do it. That sounds a lot like me when I decide to go get a, a thing of ice cream. I've spoken and I will bring this to pass. But God here is saying, God's word is a guarantee. So God is sovereign over creation and history, every season that's happened under the sun, every season that will. But not only that, God is sovereign over when 
and where we live. Acts 17, 24 through 27. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And listen to this, church. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. What the apostle Paul just said is this, that you and I, are in this moment, at the exact age that we are, in 2020. Why? Because God appointed our time in history. He chose this moment for us and us for this moment. The fact that I am not in 1970 as a disco fever redheaded ginger, but in 2020 as a skinny jean wearing ginger, is God's choice for my appointed time. I wonder often the world that my two daughters, one six, one three, will inherit. I wonder now as my wife is 30 plus weeks pregnant, what world my son is gonna be born into. You know what? The word of God just gave me rest because it told me this God's sovereign over their times, over their days. He chose their appointed time. So it is with all of us, but not only does God control our appointed times and choose them, He appoints the boundaries of our lands, according to Acts 17, the boundaries of our lands. So the fact that right now I live in Burbank, California, and not in Buffalo, New York, or Missouri, is because God chose it. God set the boundaries of my land. I could easily unfold for you the events of 2014 and 2015 that that led me and my family to Burbank, to, uh, to work at Story City Church, to begin life and ministry here. But that would not be the truest answer. That would not be the ultimate reason. The truest answer that I live here in this time, and you live here in this time, is that God sovereignly led you and I here. Why? I love the answer Acts 17 gives. It says, so that we would seek him, so that we would seek the Lord and perhaps reach out and find him. I think often, because I drive past it all the time, about the fact that in 2010, uh, I was traveling, doing itinerant ministry, and I would travel through Southern California often, and I think about the time that uh, my, at the time, girlfriend, Brooke Young, was with me, and we drove down First Street. We got off on a random off-ramp, and we drove down uh, First Street in Burbank, California in 2010 as two young dating dating people, and and we, we stumbled upon, and we had lunch at Barney's Beanery on First Street. Not knowing, not realizing that in a matter of five years, we would be married with one daughter and we would be moving to Burbank, California. We had no clue, but guess what? In that moment, God knew that that was my future wife and he knew that that was going to be my future home. A mere half mile from the Colony Theater where I would do ministry, a literal block from where, uh, where we would start this Church Flappers Comedy Club. And God knew that from there, God, he would take me on a journey that would take me through Portland, Oregon for a season, Atlanta, Georgia for a season, then through Chicago for a season, a time, an appointed time, and then ultimately here. As I look 
back over all of those seasons, I see God's sovereignty, his leading hand in my life. And the number one purpose that rises to the top as I look back of the challenges and strengthening moments of those seasons is that God was faithfully refining me, living out this purpose in and through me, helping me to seek and perhaps reach out and find him more and more. And the same is true for you. You are where you are. You are facing what you are facing in this time and this place because God ordered it. The same will be true in your next season. So with this framework of God's control of our lives, his sovereignty over our seasons, let's look at this at the bird song, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It's a lot of times. It's 28 times to be exact. Here the author of Ecclesiastes, as he's writing, he's earlier called himself the preacher, the teacher. He's trying to equip us and make us wise for life. He's, he's writing to us as one who's traveled on ahead of us in life. At the end of his life, having traveled through these 28 seasons, he's looking back with gray hair and canyons carved in his skin and wisdom in his heart. And he's saying, this is what you can expect in life. These are the times that await you if you're going to take this journey under the sun. He's trying to give us healthy expectations and align us with reality. He's giving us a map. He's saying, here are the mountain peaks you're going to pass. Enjoy the view. Here are the valleys that you're going to walk through and the rivers you're going to have to figure out how to forge. Use the map. This is what awaits you. Seasons. 
and he's broken them into two different types of seasons. He's, he says there's disquieting seasons, we'll call it, and there are delightful seasons. These are what we're going to face. We're going to face disquieting seasons and delightful seasons. And, and he's intentionally juxtaposed the two types of seasons against each other, one after another, a time to be born, a time to die. The reason he's done this, I believe, is that he wants to give us a balanced view of life. He's going to force us into a balanced view of life. So for those of you that are, are watching together, maybe with one or two other people, you can, you can tell, tell the other person, but I, I think there's basically two, two poles here, two extremes of the types of people that are with us this morning. There, there are what let's call, let's call optimists or perhaps blind optimists on one side, and on the other side of the spectrum, let's call them chronic pessimists. There are people who are blindly optimistic, and there are people who are chronically pessimistic, and there's a spectrum in between of all sorts of dispositions and temperaments. Maybe you can tell the person next to you what you think you more lean towards. Whatever the case, the preacher is going to call us to balance. For the blind optimists among us, for the optimists among us, for those of us prone to draw the world only in pastels, fluorescence, and see God's purposes only in smiles and victories, the preacher boldly identifies disquieting seasons. Disquieting seasons. These are seasons that can traumatize us, that can wreak havoc on our portion in life and, and rob us of our joy and our lot under the sun. These are the disquieting seasons he lays out for us. A, a time to die. A time to uproot. A time to kill. A time to tear down. A time to weep. A time to mourn. A time to scatter stones a time to refrain from embracing, a time to give up, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to be silent, a time to hate, and a time for war. But, but chronic pessimists don't think you're getting off the hook too easily here. For those of us that struggle to break free from melancholy, that, that struggle to engage life with hope and faith that are prone to see the world in black and gray, the preacher is going to counter by describing the delightful seasons of life, the, the mountain peaks. There are many, and they should inspire us and nurture hope for us in every season. These delightful seasons are a time to be born, a time to plant, a time to heal, a time to build, a time to laugh, a time to dance, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to search, a time to keep, a time to mend, a time to speak, a time to love time for peace. The preacher's saying, as you travel out there under the sun, remember this about the times. There are beginnings, there are ends, there are goods, there are evils, there are things we choose, there are choices we did not make but must face. We all age, we all face realities and difficulties in relationships, we all face necessities in our work, we all get sick, we all heal. There's the joy of birth, there's the reality of death. These times await us all. We should be prepared. Given the diversity of these seasons, the, the juxtaposition of disquieting and delightful seasons, how can we learn to be content, as Pastor Matt preached on last week, thankful in every season that comes our way? Bible tells us it's not just a possibility, but should be a foundation to the vibrant Christian life. So how do we become those kind of people? I'll venture an answer. We can be 
become content as we learn to acknowledge, surrender to, and rejoice in God's sovereignty, his reign, his rule over the seasons of our lives. Acknowledge, surrender to, and rejoice. I'm going to break the rest of my sermon up into those three ideas. First, we must acknowledge God's control, his rule over our lives. We learn to acknowledge God's sovereignty by being attentive to the seasons he sends. We learn to acknowledge God's sovereignty by being attentive to the seasons he sends. This starts before it can do, before it can be attentive, we have to learn to slow down to obey the imperative to be still and know that I am God. Speaking honestly, I'll speak for myself, I'm probably speaking for many of us, we are busy people. We're busy people. We have work. Many of us have a side hustle. We have kids. We have school. We have bills to pay. We have doctor's appointments to go to. We have to serve at church. We have to travel. We get sick. We need to tend to our marriage or our relationship or get somebody to date us or pray that somebody will date us. We have to pursue and maintain friendships. We have to make time to eat. We have to play. We have to go to the store and realize we forgot our mask and drive home and get it. There's all kinds of activities that keep us busy, chronically busy at times. Because of this, we'd be wise to recognize that we struggle at times to be attentive to our changing seasons. Seasons are shifting around us. Circumstances are changing. We are aging. Seasons, as they change, will affect us emotionally. They'll affect us spiritually, and they will affect us physically. I catch myself all the time. Hey, man, how you doing? How you doing, Tyler? Oh, I'm busy, bro. I'm busy. I, I, I want to take the words back as they come out of my mouth sometimes. At best, though, sometimes that, that statement, I'm busy, it, it almost sounds like a badge of honor, right? Like, I'm busy. It's almost a synonym for I'm important. At worst, it can sound innocuous, harmless. What's wrong with being busy? It, it means you're doing things and things need to be done. But chronic busyness poses a threat to our spiritual well-being. It leaves little room for attentiveness to God. It leaves little room for his pre-existing activity in us and around us. Author and pastor Eugene Peterson called busyness the enemy of spirituality. He defined busyness as the act of taking charge. But he said that the life of faith, when it's thriving, is marked by an attentiveness to the previous nature of God's activity in and around us. It is not leading, it is led. This talk of seasons and attentiveness to the seasons brings up an imagery of agriculture, of a farmer. For a farmer, a lack of attentiveness to the seasons as he harvests his crops will harm him and his land. He has to choose to work within the seasons and let the seasons work with and for him. He can't push back against them. In order to feed his family, maximize his yield, the farmer has to be attentive to the seasons as they come and respond to them accordingly. Spring, summer, winter, and fall all come with different demands. Wisdom responds to them all differently. The farmer Wendell Berry recounts a conversation he had with his wife. He says this, after we planted a garden last Tuesday, my wife Tanya spoke of how much she liked the idea that we had done it. Not because of any convention or custom or law, but because it was time.
joy and pleasure found in it. So I want to ask a question this morning. What time is it in your life? Do you know the time? Have you slowed down, brought it to God, prayed about it, about what he's doing in you and around you? What season does God have you in? Is it a disquieting season? Is it a delightful season? Are there pockets of your life filled with disquiet and pockets of your life filled with delight at the same time? The two can live in tension in our lives. We can be disquieted in one area and delighted in another. What's rolling in? What's the weather bringing in? What's rolling out in this season for you? How is Jesus leading you to respond? Does this season call for stillness and waiting? Does it call for proactive action for endurance? Does it call for holding on or letting go? Does it call for embracing or refraining from embracing? There is a time for everything. We acknowledge God's sovereignty. We become attentive to the seasons that he sent into our lives. So we need to acknowledge and be attentive. Secondly, we need to surrender to the sovereignty of God over our lives. And we learn to surrender to God's sovereignty, to his rule, to his reign, by receiving rather than resisting the seasons he sends. I think this is a good reminder for us today. 2020 has been a hard year not to resist. But receiving the seasons God sends means we let them shape our lives rather than trying to control and contort and shape them back into seasons that feel comfortable to us. Receiving the seasons means humbly accepting life on God's terms as he's ordered it. Three years ago or so, I shared, I shared about the seasons the Lord brought me to Burbank. One extreme season I've had in my time here is about three years ago, the Lord in his sovereignty led me into a disquieting season. Specifically, as I thought about it, it felt like a time for God to tear down some things in my life. It felt like he recognized some cracks in my character. And he highlighted them in some painful ways and said, I'm going to deal with these now, Tyler, because I love you as a father. And if these things in your life aren't exposed now, the pain that will come from them will far exceed the pain of my fatherly correction in this moment. So we're going to deal with this now. You're going to face this now. And can I just be honest and confess to you, I resisted that season for a while. I refused to submit to it. I pushed back against it. I looked for off-ramps where none existed. And can I just give glory to God that in his patience, he endured with me. He waited with me. And despite my resisting in his time, he brought me through that season, out of that season, gave me eyes to see his grace in that season, what he was looking to accomplish in that season. Can I be honest enough to say that there's still a limp from that season in some ways? And yet, I see God's faithfulness even in the limp. So I wonder what seasons we may be resisting or receiving. Maybe you as a church can learn from my failures and rejoice as you wrestle in God's faithfulness as we wrestle. Are you, res are you resisting or receiving the season God has you in? Some of us are prone to resist times to weep. Others of us are prone to resist times to laugh. Some of us are prone to resist times to mourn. Others of us are prone to resist times to dance. That's me at every wedding I've ever attended. Some of us resist times that call us to refrain from embracing. Others resist a season that calls for embracing. Whatever the case, we 
all need to be discipled by Jesus into a receptive posture to every season he brings under the sun. Jesus himself surrendered to the seasons. Jesus was born into a time for war. Rome occupied his land. Zealots were all over the place. Jesus was born into a time for war. Jesus was a carpenter. He knew what it meant to tear down. He knew what it meant to gather stones. He knew what it meant to scatter stones. Do you think when Jesus healed somebody that he stood by stoically, Jesus knew what it was to dance and laugh and rejoice. And Jesus knew what it was to weep. Jesus knew what it was to be born. Jesus knew what it was to die. Jesus modeled surrender to the seasons for us. Lastly, we need to learn to be attentive to the seasons. We need to learn to surrender to the seasons. But lastly, and this is the true supernatural point that only Christianity can offer, we need to learn to rejoice in God's sovereignty over the seasons of our lives. And we learn to rejoice in God's sovereignty over our lives by seeing his good character Revealed in Jesus. The absolute control of God over our lives doesn't become good news, doesn't become welcomed news until we know that God is good. Right? I don't want to surrender control of my life or even acknowledge that there might be someone else ordering the seasons that come into my life unless I know that that person's intentions for me are good. Unless I know that his character can be trusted. And church, God is good. In John 10, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and life to the full church. Do you believe that every intention of God for your life, whether you're in disquiet or delight, is good? That he's here to lead you to life. That his word revives the soul. God is good. Somebody pushes back in a disquieting season. It sure doesn't feel like he's good. Where is he in what I'm walking through? How can I know that he can be trusted? How can I know? It's a valid question. It's a valid question. Can I give an honest answer? In one sense, I don't know. There are struggles and trials this side of eternity that no pastor can explain or answer. There must be a surrender to the reality that when we get to the other side and see the view God had, that we'll recognize that he gives us exactly what we would ask for if we knew everything that he knows. But for now, we don't. So I don't know the exact answer, but what I do know is this. I know what the answer can't be. I know what the answer can't be to why God allows us to suffer. The answer can't be that he doesn't love us. The answer can't be that he's not good. The answer can't be that he's removed or at a distance, that he set the world in motion and watches it spin with his feet kicked up uninvolved. The answer can't be that he doesn't care or love us. How do you know that, Pastor? How do you know that? Romans 8.32 is how I know that. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Church, the reason I know that God loves me, that he loves you, that he's fighting for our good, is the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. 
I look to the cross. I see the God who entered into time, entered into the seasons, suffered as you and I suffered, that he may become a sympathetic high priest who understands our temptations, one who was tempted in every way that we are tempted and yet was without sin, lived a sinless life on planet earth, never said, thought, or did anything that God himself would not do if he walked planet earth because he was God himself walking on planet earth and then gave up his life on a cross for unworthy, unseeking sinners to turn all disquiet into future delight, to cover us and robe us in the righteousness of God. Have you felt that recently? Have you sensed that? Have you bowed in prayer before God and just meditated on the reality that you don't approach God in your own righteousness, that you are robed in the righteousness of Christ if you've come to Christ by faith? Have you thought about that? Meditated on that? It will give you hope. It will make you a rejoicer. It will make you thankful. It will give you endurance. The gospel of Christ crucified for sinners alone is potent enough to make us the kind of people who rejoice not in what we possess, but rejoice, as Romans 12, 12 says, in hope. We rejoice in the promise of a future possession. We rejoice in an eternal season to come. We expect God to be faithful. Dale Carnegie has a famous statement you may have heard. He says this, two men looked out from prison bars. Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. What's going on there? Carnegie is saying that there's two men in the exact same position. They're in prison. They're seeing the same realities. And one looks out through those bars, and he sees only mud. His perspective is mud. The other looks out with hope. He sees stars. His perspective is heavenly. He's saying this. One man brightened his current reality by looking at it through the lens of a future hope. One man brightened his current reality by looking at it through the lens of his future hope. He saw stars. The other man in the same setting soured his future by looking at it through the lens of his current reality. We have a choice this morning as Christians. We can brighten our current reality by looking at it through the lens of a future hope. Or we can mute and sour our future hope by looking at it through the lens of our current reality. Are you allowing your future hope to be defined by your present? Or by faith, are you defining the challenges of today by looking at them through the lens of the future hope you have in Christ? gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation with God, not through works of righteousness, but through faith and grace and the free gift of God can become a lens of future hope for us. In Christ, because of his gracious gift, we can stand in these disquieting times of 2020, not knowing what's to come, not knowing what season is rolling in, behold the stars. We can see stars, not mud. Because we can see Christ's love. Because we can know how the story ends. Because we 
know that the mud of this fallen world is being redeemed by Christ and his work because we know that he's invited us on mission in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our country to live as ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that is coming in victory very quickly. And even in our sorrows, we can learn to obey Romans 12, 12 and rejoice in hope. Church, we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith. Seasons come, seasons go. There's a time for everything. Time to be born, a time to die. We all live in the middle. But Isaiah 40, verse 8 says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but it's the word of our God that endures forever. Two questions as I close this morning, quickly. In this moment, right now, in your heart, Christian, are you resting in the proven character and control of God over the seasons of your life? Turn to Christ through prayer. Be attentive to your seasons. Surrender yourself. Stop resisting and receive and let the gospel turn you into a rejoicer this morning. Second question to the non-Christian. Does life feel out of control? Is your head spinning? Are you grasping for control and things that keep failing? Put your faith in Jesus this morning, the one who orders the seasons, the one who can teach us to rejoice in them. It's easy. All you have to do is come to him by faith and say, Jesus, I repent of my self-seeking. I repent of my sin. I'm turning from self and I'm turning towards you. I'm placing my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins once and for all. Robe me in the righteousness of Christ. Receive me as a child. If that's you and you want to say that prayer or you even just said it, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. There's a, a link in the chat window. You can just let us know or you can text Story City to 24587 and a pastor will reach out to you. We love and cherish. It's why we do what we do that we would be able to walk you to Christ. So please don't hesitate. Give us that joy. Church, I hope you've been encouraged this morning. God is good. His character can be trusted. He is in control now and always. Let's pray together. Father, our times are in your hands. Our first breath and our last, you know it, you see it. It's not something you only see. It's a place where you are. Teach us this now. Help us to apply what we've heard. Give us the wisdom and strength and supernatural ability to acknowledge the seasons, to be attentive to them, to surrender to the seasons and receive them, and to rejoice in the season you have us in because of your trusted character in and through it. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name.